We're back. We're back. It's a distraction. I'm Drew, and Roth is not here. Roth is on vacation in Maine, so you're going to get a, a Maine cast at some point in the future. But uh, taking his place, a very, very special guest this week. It's our old, old friend, my old friend, AJ Delario. How are you, AJ? I'm good. I'm great. It's nice to be here, finally. It, it's nice yeah. to be here. Uh, you and I haven't really chatted in a long, long time, and I'm going to give everyone the, the backstory very, very quickly, but I'm going sure. to give the uh, I'm going to give the the upfront, the current, present plugs uh, right now, which is that AJ sure. is currently the editor of the Small Bow, a publication about uh, addiction and sobriety, and he's also the host of the new podcast called Really Good Shares, which launched this week with his first guest, another old friend of ours, Emma Carmichael. Are you ready for the podcasting game, AJ? Am I ready for it? Yeah, do you have the chops um, to be a white guy talking? You know, I mean, it took me, it took me, is, is I, I made a, I signed a deal with like iHeartRadio to do this, which is built off of the newsletter. And I, the original pitch was to, shares are kind of the things you do in like the recovery rooms. That's what it's called when you do like a two, three minute kind of uh, state of the state of where you are. And I wanted to have a person on. I, I pitched it as kind of the moth meets a recovery room, right? It's taken me eight months to do five episodes. <laughs> really? Just be, yeah, because it turned into a storytelling, you know, produced sort of uh, like a. It's almost like a vignette where it's just oh. like I do. This is the thing. I interview the person for about three hours, like Emma. We had for about three hours. Wow. Then she then she wrote an essay which I edited, and then she comes back and records that essay over top, right? So, as you can imagine, it's tough to get people to commit to that amount of time. Yeah. Plus, plus the, plus the add-on is it just like, you know, there has to be an intersection with my own recovery and the person that I have on the show. So, when, when I brought Emma on, I mean, she's obviously not you know, a, a sober person. She's doesn't have a problem or anything like that. I don't want to say, but I mean, it, it was it was more about her having her you know awful accident and and the recovery that went through that because I, the small boat deals with trauma and you know mental health stuff as well. So she she was good in that aspect because she had a she had a level of healing that was pretty extraordinary. Yeah, she was. I mean, she was hit. By a damn truck. So, yeah, I would say. Smushed by a truck. Oh, really. Smushed. Geez. Not really. Yeah, I know, right? Well, now so I feel bad. bad. You've, you've put way more work into your podcast than I have ever put into this podcast. <laughs> um, no, well, it, it, it's, it's something I regret. I mean, it's just like I put, you know, a, a, a producer who's very nice, and I'll plug Julian Weller, who was, has been with me this whole entire time. But it's, it's become somewhat of because I, I have a contract for 20 episodes like i said eight months it took me to do five so i i'd i'm gonna be doing this until 2025 you putting off shit to the last minute that ain't well it's not even putting not off like shit you. to the last minute it's really it's really about just like oh i can't believe i i mean i've turned into like the phil specter of like you know <laughs> trying to put this whole 
thing together. I mean, I just keep adding stuff on and, you know, I've got like gaffers and stuff like that. I mean, uh, it's a, it's a wall of shares. It's like, it's like, well, it's like more like an apocalypse now type situation where this is just never going to (laughs) end. Whatever, whatever episode goes out there, it's it's never finished. I want to give people a bit of background. Um, and I'm going to be very quick about it. Uh, AJ. So I, the first editor of, of Deadspin was Will Leach and, Will and AJ are old friends. They work together um, at, uh, oh, God. I'm so sorry, AJ. The Black Table. I forgot it for a second, and I feel like shit. So they work together at the Black Table, and then uh, Leach uh, started Deadspin. I started freelancing for Deadspin, and then AJ came and worked under Leach at Deadspin before uh, Leach left for New York Magazine, and AJ moved up to EIC. So AJ was the editor-in-chief of Deadspin, then moved over to Gawker, Became the editor in chief right. of Deadspin, and then Gawker folded after uh, losing uh, a, <laughs> a, a courtroom case to Peter Thiel and Hulk Hogan, that vicious tag team. Uh, and AJ yeah. left, and AJ was also, uh, I would say, and you, you know what, AJ, can I let you finish this because I don't want to get it wrong. Get fin- finish what? Well, okay, I just wanted to say that you were financially essentially ruined by the case you no, were legal i mean i was i was threatened with that okay. i mean what what, it, what this like after the judgment had come down is when things started to to really get weird through that because i i, I was and just quickly we'll go through this thing but i mean my my impression was going into that case and this is what was told to me was just like that i was really a non-factor that I was just there to kind of just, you know, take my slap on the wrist and go home. And because of the way that Florida, the legal system is set up, any kind of judgment against uh, is, is for all the defendants. And I wasn't a witness. I was the defendant. So when Gawker and Nick declared bankruptcy, I was left open to this. And I mean, I was, I did not have a hundred million dollars. But um, they put a lien on my checking account for that amount for, you know, I forget how long it was, but that just set off a whole sort of series of, of you know, a year plus change of me trying to kind of disentangle from this whole mess. I mean, they were taking my computer and my cell phone like every three months for that whole entire year. And like to check it for something. I mean, just like any time. And and it was my fault because I was I was so desperate to kind of try to get out in front of this as much as possible that I kept talking to people in the press. And every time I would talk to people in the press, which is just like a a no, no, when you're kind of tied up in, in these legal messes. They would submit something else to court. And the reason they could do that is because they obviously had a blank checkbook from a very powerful man yes. who was kind of bankrolling this whole thing. Um, but yeah, it was, it was frustrating in the sense that I, I felt like I was just caught in between two sets of lawyers. And, and Gawker's lawyers had dropped me at that point, too, once that lien happened. So I didn't have any representation. So that's what made it a little more complicated for me throughout that time period right um but you know i got through it i mean it was it was a it was a tough year is really what it was and i had a lot of friends and family 
loan me money while I couldn't make money. I mean, that was, that was how that had to work out, right? You know, I mean, Juliet, I mean, my wife, I mean, she was buying me Ubers, basically, because I couldn't, all, all my credit cards and stuff like that were locked up, and they were part of just like that process. Are you, uh, are you as hamstrung now uh, no. as you were then, or can you have a credit card? And Oh, yeah, yeah no, not? I mean, all that stuff was clear. Once they settled which I believe was 30 million uh, was what they settled for. And obviously, I mean, Gawker got sent out to sea or whatever sort of part of that um, judgment had happened. Yeah, but I mean, I've, I've been kind of released from that. And, you know, there were some stipulations that I, I refused to sign, which were just about, you know, NDAs and along those lines. Um, I, but other than that, I mean, I think I think I'm in the clear. But who knows? I mean, it's just there it was one of those things where it was obvious that there was a guy who was behind this, who, when he got bored, was able to kind of <laughs> execute some pretty serious kind of legal league. I think I think what John Cook referred to it as was lawfare, which was yeah, which was, that's a good word for it. Yeah, which was pretty much what it felt like. Uh, also in that interim can you take me through the timeline of your recovery since we're talking about recovery yeah right uh i, I mean you know it was and i i was i was very public about my uh recreational drug and alcohol usage which was something that i'd, I'd really started to ramp up about 2010 which i mean if you remember was was kind of tied to the brett Favre story when you know i was at deadspin um, so I, I, I think, I think from there, I, I just began to really unravel because I just didn't like the attention from that story. And I felt very, very cornered by it. Um, but it was also very successful, you know, I mean, there was, there were a lot of attention paid to me at that particular moment, but so I wanted, I wanted to, I wanted to quit. Deadspin after that. I mean, it was just, I, and uh, and I did, and I had like you know made this plan with Nick and you know with Tommy to go to Afghanistan for <laughs> like six months, um, and and my I, I wanted to do that because I was just so sick of basically being the Don guy, honestly, and but I was also just extremely depressed, and I was like, you know. If I go to Afghanistan and I get blown up, then this will basically kind of rewrite the history of my, <laughs> my, my journalism career, if you could say that. But I mean, that's, that's where I was just in, emotionally at that point. And, you know, then I got another job, actually, just like, you know, at, right when I quit Deadspin, it was at my friend's site called Animal in New York, which is like a street art. Thing. Yeah, a Bucky Turco, right? Bucky Turco. I yeah, remember yeah, yeah. that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so and we're still really good friends. And, I, you know, I took that job, but Nick kind of swooped in and took me for a, a, a walk. You know, you remember the office, like 210 Elizabeth. You were there a couple times, I correct? do. I was there a couple yeah. I missed that all. I liked so, that office. It was a wonderful place. Hallowed ground, as they say. But he took me for a walk around the block and... You know, I said to him, I, I just love working for you. I love this place. I just need to step away. I'll probably be one of those people who comes back to the company two, three years from now 
because I miss it so much. And then Nick, you know, in his, in his very ominous and creepy way that he would have those conversations, he said, just like, well, what if I give you Gawker now? And, uh, but I was just like, well, you have an editor in chief. And he's just like, give me a minute. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very, Nick it wasn't, thing. wasn't, it wasn't that quick, but it really was, I would say a week in between him offering me the job and then basically kind of just like saying, okay, pitch me on what you're going to do as editor in chief. And then it was right before Thanksgiving and he pulled the editor at the time, Remy Stern into that big glass office. I don't know if you remember. Yep. There was like that. Yep. So he put, which everyone can see in there. Everyone and, can see Nick firing people always. Yes. Yeah. And so a heated conversation Remy walks out, opens the door, slams it, and then he's gone. And nobody has seen him since, <laughs> right? And, and then at that time, he, you know, we made a, I signed a contract, Tommy signed a contract, and, and then that was that. Um, but I stayed on for Deadspin for like, you know, the, the end of Thanksgiving through January. But January 2012 is when I started Gawker, and then Tommy became... Yeah, I see of Deadspin. But I mean, Tommy was basically running it for that six months prior to that. Yeah, yeah, yes, he was. Can I mm-hmm. go back for a second? Because you said that you had felt cornered by the Favre story. Yeah. And uh, you're sort of known as, as the Dawn guy for people. <laughs> right. Um, and this was the story where, and this is the story that I fucked up because we got pictures of uh, Brett Favre's penis and we posted them. Uh, uh, we can say allegedly his, his penis, allegedly so, his I mean, penis. I, I, have, I have I have no problem if if that was I, I have no problem at this point. I have no problem yeah. putting it allegedly in there for your yeah. sake. Anyway, um, did you feel um, responsible yourself for feeling that way? Did you feel as if you had cornered yourself and defined yourself? In that yeah, way? I did. I did because I mean, I, they, and this is this is the part of. I, I was very careerist and ambitious at Deadspin, but I mean, it was also should be noted that I I never wanted to edit a sports site, right? I mean, it was not my it was my not my plan. So I, I mean, I, I think that if you look closely at my era of Deadspin, which was like three and a half years, by the way, I mean, it was a long time that I was at that. Site. Yeah, you were there for and, the advent um, of this podcast, by the way. Um, right, that's true. Um, but, and, and Tommy and I both kind of just like wanted to move and become a, a men's magazine just to branch out and be able to kind of run some stories that you would find in GQ and Esquire and all those lines. So that's right. We had Deadspin XY. XY. Right. Correct. Deadspin XY. Yeah. Um, which obviously, I mean, Tommy kind of, you know, created and made like adequate man and all those other kind of just little sub sites that he had put into place at that time after I left. But I mean, that was, that was the genesis of that because I mean, I didn't want to, I didn't want to write about sports. I, I never really did. It wasn't, it was an aspiration of mine to write for SI or anything along those lines. I'm a sports fan, but you know, for the time that I took over from Leach, I mean, Deadspin wasn't really in a, in a great place in terms of the hierarchy of, of Gawker media sites, as successful as that site was when they had changed the metrics, you know, Deadspin was 
eight or nine, right? On the, on the leaderboard in terms of just like traffic at that point. How, what, what, was, by what metrics? Page views. Okay. And sales and sales because it, it was, it was, it was one of those things that was hard to sell because of the marketplace right now where just like people would be like, well, why would I go to Deadspin if I can get an ad at ESPN or SI or sporting news, right? Like, you know, all of these, all these you know, monolithic kind of just sports publications that everybody was familiar with. And Deadspin was not that popular at that point, right? Um, but, they, you know, they kind of gave me the job really almost as a year to, to see if it could survive. And, you know, they hired someone else to basically be IC, which was Clay Travis. Clay Travis. Right? Yeah. And um, so we, but it created this awkward situation because I think, I think Leach had kind of negotiated that I would be on as like a transition team, right? Well, can, and, I, can I stop you there? Yeah, absolutely. So I remember, I remember this, is that they, they were looking for an EIC, mm-hmm. and you and I texted, and you said, "Are you gonna, are you gonna apply?" Right. And I think I had, I think I had sort, I had like half acidly applied. That's not, a, right. that's not an adverb. That's not a real adverb. No, that's. And fine. I was I, like, I, I was like, I was like, you know what? I don't think I actually. Want to do this? And I think I said that to you, and you said, "Well, I'm going for it," and mm-hmm. I was like, "More power to you." And so, I remember you wanting the gig. Yeah, I did. Um, and and I, I wanted it not necessarily for the same reasons that anyone else wanted it. I just saw what was going on, kind of underneath the the hood with that that site, and I was just like, "Okay, this." Nobody can come in here and try to replicate what Leach is doing because they're not Will, right? right. And, and, and the success of the site was kind of built off of Will. No offense to Rick Chandler or RIP. But I mean, you know, that was also just like the model that existed at Gawker Media at that time, where the editor-in-chief did 12 posts per day. Yep. And they were kind of the face of each site, you know, because they had Lasante's Defamer. And before that, it was like, you know, Anna Marie Cox at, at, at Wonkette. So, I mean, they were like big personalities kind of run this. But because of the success of Gizmodo and Jezebel at that time, who had seven or eight staffers, that was kind of the direction that all these sites were moving in at that point. But Deadspin did not have the sales to basically justify any full-time hires. So... They hired Clay as, I, I think, managing editor, but also basically just like kind of temporary guy in waiting for this job. The heir apparent. And, yeah. And, um, and Noah had kind of explained that to me where he's just like, you guys are going to be working together, but try him out. Right. And um, you did. And, and, <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, just not to get into a because I know Clay is something larger than he was at that time. And, and I didn't recognize him being that guy at that time. No, my none of decision, us did. I think he'd be the right, fucking but successor I mean, my, to my decision Limbaugh. to and, and I did fire him. Right. And but I mean, I'm not saying this to kind of shit on him. But I mean, the reason for that was I had this plan that I presented to Noah, which was, OK, here's the way we can kind of gain some ground within the company. It's not going to be from you, me and clay all doing the same thing. 
right? Which was kind of just like, we were all a little bit just doing those dead boys. You were doing more Big Daddy Drew sort of stuff at that point, kind of coming out of that. Yep. Clay was doing his, you know, his redneck version of that. And then, you know, I was still the cultural odds maker guy, right? I had that persona. Right. And I was trying to kind of shift away from it. I was kind of delegating the responsibility to you to be whatever that strongest voice in the room was, right? You were you were delegated as being just like, you know, angry sports guy, right? The hammer. And so, yeah. So I, I think that there was no room for Clay in that masthead at that point. The unfortunate thing was I didn't realize that Clay had basically signed on to be EIC until that moment, right? And Clay pushed back legally and basically said, you know, I'm signed on for a year. I'm staying for a year. So then we, and I remember, you remember that awkward situation where Clay was kind of our college football writer for about a year where he was a columnist? Yeah, I, I do. I, I always... So that, that was... That was kind of a dead money contract <laughs> a little bit where just like, you know, I couldn't hire anyone else until that money ran out. So they and, and you know, I was trying to clear space at that point. So I was trying to kind of really have Deadspin survive that year, at least make some sort of headway in the direction of kind of what the, the page view targets were, which then turned to unique visitors. Do you remember that metric as well? I do remember new unique visitors. We call so, them nukes now. <laughs> okay but you know the and this is all probably a very very boring podcast i'm sorry don't, i'm really sorry about this. i don't I didn't want to get no, i don't no, want to no, go down this hole don't worry you know that's fine we'll, we'll we'll move away from it at some point but you know the the, the bottom line was there was there was a a way to kind of have that i had to kind of push this forward with a limited staff and try to make this survive which i thought was you know, a, a plan that was at least executed pretty successfully, right, for a long period of time. I would say so. But in doing that, you know, I became kind of crazy about, you know, because I, I, had, I had obviously gained the attention of Denton at that point. And Denton kind of treated me like the fair-haired boy because I was willing to do some of the things that many other people in the company were a little gun-shy about. And, you know, that... That put me at least in a position to hire someone else. <laughs> you know, my first hire hire was Tommy. Well, to go back, because you had mentioned, you know, the, the Favre story and how you yeah. felt cornered by it. Uh, and the, the genesis of that story came from an off-the-record tip that you got from Jen Sturger. Yes. That you ended up using, and she right. felt burned by it. You two are now, now friends. Yeah, and so I wanted to ask you if you felt uh, at the time when you and I'm going to use the word burned when you burned Jen. Yeah, did you yeah, feel course. as if you really had? Did you feel that it was an act of desperation? And do you still do you have guilt over it? Yeah, I, I mean, I think the the guilt has been at least. I mean, I mean Jen and I have had have this very very unique friendship right now where you know obviously i mean I, I apologize to her for that we've had long conversations about it we both kind of exist in the same world where we can communicate as as two people who felt like their their stories were taken from them and then pushed out in the world but initially why i moved forward with that story was that you know i had she told me that in around 
February, I would say, of, of 2010. It was around the Super Bowl. Okay. Right? And she was, and I don't you know if you remember, we would have like correspondence at the Super Bowl. She was supposed to be a correspondent at, for Deadspin. And it was in that era of uh, athletes showing their, taking snapshots of their dicks and sending it to people unwittingly. The dong era. Yeah. Refer to it as. Um, but Memories. So jokingly, I had put out kind of a bounty on that stuff. And Jen basically told me that, you know, yeah, I mean, I've received these sort of things. And you don't know who the worst person is. And then proceeded to tell me that story and play me the, the tape. And, and, you know, I was just like, I remember going outside to Tommy on that little ledge and basically telling him the story. And we were both like... This is this is kind of like became this this white whale story. So Jen didn't want to go forward with it, but I went around and started to talk to a lot of other NFL beat writers and just to kind of get some legs on this. And most people were not surprised per se, but also wouldn't say that publicly because he had such a hold on you know the the storylines that were going around in the NFL because he was still in that will he retire won't he retire sort of phase. Well, also and he had even, he had so many guys wrapped around his finger, so many guys, access, so many. You know, like yeah. Peter King, most prominent among them. So uh, yeah, but and uh, you know the th- and the thing was was just I uh, once he did that hijack the news cycle routine again over the summer and I was watching all of these people fall, fall all over him. And I said to myself, you know, because this is the era too. We have to kind of, this is very important that most of the people that were covering him were basically just like, well, you know, he's just being a guy. He's, he's a, he's an NFL quarterback. I mean, of course he's going to chase some skirts, right? I mean, it was just like that sort of kind of just like, you know, sort of, sort of boys club sort of thinking at that point. And nobody was going to kind of, uh, talk about that unless it rose to the level of a legal case, right? I mean, that was kind of the barometer for these sort of stories at that point. Like nobody was going to talk about this stuff if there was just one single accusation that kind of existed in the ether and was never filed, right? In some ways, so, that's still that's still true, and it's it is and it's it, bad it because it, it means that it means that people are compelled to speak up if they want people to notice, particularly women. And they won't necessarily have the credibility of an indictment or a civil suit behind them. And even if they do, they have to go through all the bullshit that the legal system puts them through. Yeah. And Jen was uh, and Jen was very, very. And this was also just put the arrow just like this is post Tiger Woods. And Jen at the time was basically just like, you know, I do not want to be mistress number one here. And I didn't sleep with him. I didn't hook up with him. And like, I mean, it's not that relationship, but people are going to think that. Right. Right. And, and she was correct, unfortunately. And, um, and you know, and obviously she became because of just like, you know, her past history as a maximum person and stuff like that. Like anytime her photo was put side by side with him, uh, she she was seen as someone who was basically like this opportunistic person who was lying about Brett Favre and ruining a family man's life. I mean, I, I got plenty of those sort of stories. But I mean, I remember I was on Stephen A's show, right? Like when he had his show. 
And Stephen A was giving me her, and he's just like, don't you think you're breaking man law here? <laughs> oh, my God. Holy shit. That was, that was, his, it was his argument. He would ask uh, you that it, same question today. I know, I, right? I, that was that. I, I mean, um, but there were a lot of people like that. And, you know, I, I, there were a lot of people who were, uh, any time, it's an interesting, just like, you know, when that coverage, and I'm, making it sound smarter than it was but the the dong shot era which was essentially sexual harassment right i mean yeah going to kind of um most people were kind of just like very uh, the the people that were um you know most the vocal detractors of it were homophobes i mean that was kind of the whole movie and and that was part of why i kept doing it on the site because I was just like, you know, it, 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 this, this brings out the worst in people. And I've, I feel like I want to antagonize some of the readers on the site. I also wanted to antagonize the salespeople because they were kind of pushing me towards to be more boob centric. I mean, this was the still we're still in the era of men's magazines. What I like to refer to as the boob and bacon era of men's magazines. Right. Yeah. Where like, you know, that was that was something that was kind of just like, you know, cater to that demo. Right. And I, I never really kind of embraced that part. So in response, I would do the dong shots. <laughs> it was just like, you know, you, you wanted some skin. Right. Here you go. Right. I remember. uh I remember that I, I have no shortage of culpability there because, uh, and I remember someone, in, a radio host in Dallas asked me about it, and I could conveniently say, well, you know, a, you know, AJ, you know, was the was the architect behind that story, but I was the one who got to, essentially ride the coattails and be like, we got the penis, we got the penis of Brett Favre, woohoo, and right. I enjoyed the fact that we had gotten it, and I was not. I was not broken up over the means of how they were, you know, how, how those pictures were acquired. I feel right. differently now, of course. Um, yeah. But I do remember, you know, I, I remember being someone who tangentially benefited from the story and did not have to suffer any of its ill effects. Um, mm. You know, and either, you know, what Jen had to go through. And she wrote at one point, Deadspin ruined my life. She yeah. said it outright. Or yeah, she said it many times. Yeah, yeah. and uh, you know, um, which I mean, and and this is, and I don't want to speak for her in terms of things, but I mean, the conversations that I have had with her is just like, and here's here's where we exist was that you know everything that I had gone through with the the Hogan case and kind of just becoming this character in this large story that had ultimately just like, you know, become bigger than, than me. And I was, I was just a, I was just the guy that did the, the crappy deposition and became kind of just like, you know, this, this version of Gawker that everyone hated. Right. Um, but it was interesting to kind of just see my name written out in like, you know, all the coverage of it as Albert J. Delario. I was just a defendant who said all these shitty things. Right. And just to, that frustration of trying to get ahead of and rescue, you know, the human from the character in this large story was something that she and I kind of connected on because she felt the same way from that story. And she still has run-ins with people who, you know, kind of bring it up when Brett Favre comes up, 
you know, and, and she's in the room and she's just like, well, you know, how, how do I respond to that? But, um, I, I feel that way about certain things that come up in the news as well, you know, and it's just, it's, it's like, okay, here's this, here's this moment that was shattering for so many ways. And she's still working through kind of just like the trauma of that and, and trying to, trying to kind of move on. She said this really interesting thing, which is something I agree with. Is like, she just couldn't joke about it. Right. Because it had become so large. And if she joked about it, she came off like an insane person. Right. But she was sarcastic. She was a natural, like she, she wanted to be kind of just like, you know, jokey sports girl, but it had become so huge that there was no room for her to joke about it anymore. And, uh, you know, I, I definitely felt that same thing where there is no way for me to kind of, you know, get ahead of this and feel human about it. Right. And, um, we still talk, we still talk all the time, not all the time, but like every three months I check in with her and see what she's up to. And sometimes we have really great conversations. One thing I will, Plus she gave me a dog. That's right. I do remember that. The other thing I, I do want to point out before we move on is that the people who are listening to this will say that, you know, and they'll, they, will, they will reduce it to AJ saying, oh, you know, well, I was victimized too. No. Which... Yeah, I mean, which I was not. And, and, I, and I mean, it's, it, was, it was more along the lines of like, and, and she said this as well, which is just like, you know, I don't know if I'm a victim or a villain here. Like, I don't feel, and I don't feel like a victim, uh, obviously, of, of anything that happened. But the, the tough part, especially in a legal case, is just in order to get out of it, sometimes you have to pretend you're a victim, right? <laughs> Unfortunately. Where, and then the other side is basically saying just, you know, all, the, all these other awful things. I mean, like being involved in a huge legal case is, is just the most demoralizing thing that I, anyone can go through. And... You know, she's had to deal with that as well. And I, I, I just have a lot of empathy for her in a way that I obviously didn't have before. But I still felt like shit when I posted it. And I, and I told her that. I was just like, you know, because she had asked me just like, you know, did you, I just wanted you to know that I was a human being. And I was just like, I did know you were a human being. I did it anyway, because I really wanted that story. And that was it. And I'm sorry for that. You know, and that was really let, um, let's take a quick break and come back and talk about the now. We'll be right back. We're back. We're talking with uh, AJ Delario, who's the editor of The Small Bow. And I want to talk about The Small Bow for a moment because you started off. This, sure. Um, you're a recovering addict and you founded The Small Bow. Mm. Why? Can you tell me? Um, well, first of all, addict is not the appropriate term. Oh, really? No. Okay, tell me. <laughs> well, it's a, it's, you have a substance misuse problem, right? But I mean, like, you know, ultimately, I, when I got out of rehab, which was, I was my third rehab, was uh, December of 2015. And, you know, I was... Obviously, I was in, involved in, in writing for the internet and, and, and magazines for so long, and I thought that there would be some stories that I could kind of find that I wanted to connect with and was having a lot of trouble finding the things I wanted to, uh, to read. And 
Um, because most of the, the sites that were dedicated to this sort of work were, were polluted by rehab ads. So it was kind of just, you know, that the, the rehab industry had kind of taken over this market, right? Um, How so? And and what is they the they industry? they fund like there's a site called the Fix right which is kind of just like we'll we'll call it for all intents and purposes the the HuffPo of addiction sites okay right? all right and, but they are they, they were fully funded by rehabs right and you know the, so uh, rehabs dominate the ad space there and that happens with a lot of uh, a lot of rehabs run content on their sites, et cetera. And, and they're tough and they dominate the SEO side of things. So it was tough to kind of, um, get through some of that stuff. But I had read a story by a man named Clancy Martin, who had written this wonderful piece for Harper's. And I was like, this is the type of story I want to read. Um, and then I, I, what was the story found? Um, it was called The Cult That Cures, which was basically his experience in AA. But he's, he's just this masterful writer. And, you know, it's like this 10,000-word story. And um, I, 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 it just stuck with me. And I was like, you know, I, I would really, I would read this story all the time because this was the only thing that kind of spoke to me. And I said, wouldn't it be great if there was a site that could basically just have all Clancy Martin? So I, I'd, I'd gotten the opportunity via Civil, which was that cryptocurrency company that like me, Skaka, and a few other people got grants to start a site. Yes. And I had, I had, pitched, I had pitched this site with ultimately in mind running stories by Clancy. And Clancy was the first person I had hired. And then I had hired a couple other people. But it, it fell apart. The grant money ran out. And I still was wanted this to continue, but I had to do it on the cheap. And I was very hesitant to write first person about my experience at that point. I Why? Just, I, was, I, was still, I was still a little shook up by the Gawker stuff and afraid that anything I would put out there would look like I was trying to redeem myself. Right. Right. And the thing that I, I decided real early on, and this is really what I wanted was I want to write for an audience. I do not know yet. Right. Like I, I just wanted to kind of put stuff out in the world where it, it was, it was not beholden to like my past in any sort of way. Right. And it was just, here's, here's my, you know, I, I'm trying to recover in this some way. Here's what I'm basically going through day in, day out. Because it's, 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 it's more the middle between kind of the you know, beginning of, of sobriety to whatever the end is. The middle part is the stuff that I really wanted to focus on. And, and you know, how I go about that. I mean, obviously I do 12-step, but I mean, I have like a therapist and psychiatrist and medication and meditation. And there are all of these components that go into my recovery. And I wanted to figure out that I, I, and I thought that there would be more people like that. So I, I attempted to write about that in the hopes of finding that audience. And, you know, two years later, it's, it's, it started to show up. And I had one of the most wonderful moments yesterday, which was, uh, you know, I was promoting the, the podcast and I had written about in the newsletter, just about 
Emma and, you know, like my background in the Gawker trial and the Hogan trial. And I got an email from someone who was just like, can you give me kind of just a link that I can look to that I can find out about this, this Hogan trial? Because I know nothing about it. Right. And I was just like, it felt like kind of just like I've been shipwrecked for so long. And I finally touched on land that someone is basically here for something that I created and had no idea what my background was. It's right? nice. And it was, it was, it was, it was just this wonderful moment that I was just like, Oh, you know, and could be one person, honestly, but I, you know, I, I was like, okay, this, this now exists in a way, this is a thing now, right? This is a thing that people come to for reasons other than just, because I had a lot of people, I do get these emails from the you know, former deadspin readers and stuff like that. Of course. And they were just like, um, but we're all very nice and very great. But like a lot of people will be just like, you know, honestly, I, I just wanted to see if you were dead. <laughs> and I Googled and just came upon this, this thing. And, um, which is fine. I mean, I, I Google that sometimes as well. And, uh, but I, this is a really gratifying part of, of, of this, you know, writing career that I never really anticipated because I mean, I, I think the thing that should be noted is when I got into, you know, when, and when I first moved to New York and Leach and I had met and I considered Leach basically more my New York friend, the guy, everybody needs a person you need to survive New York with. And Leach is that guy. <laughs> the, the hardcore New Yorker. That is, that uh, no, but I mean, we were both kind of just adrift for a long period of time. And, you know, I was very, very much influenced by his life as a loser column. I was just like, I God, I want to write like this. And so, I mean, I got into writing because I wanted to be funny, sad essay guy. And then I got kind of derailed and became just like, you know, asshole guy. <laughs> but I always wanted to be funny, sad essay guy. And now I've kind of become funny, sad essay. Hi, which hi, is, is just like, that. you know, here's here's the thing where I get to kind of you know, do this newsletter out of, you know, once or twice a week and it, it, it resonates with people and it, and it's wonderful in a way that I don't feel like I have to become something. Right. I mean, sometimes I'm basically like, all right, I kind of, I don't have any more stories. Guess I should relapse, you know, but I, I mean, that, that, that comes and goes. Um, but I, you know, the, the thing that's, that's, that's great about it is like I said, I mean, there's just, connections with people people have like zoom meetings that they go to um you know every wednesday actually which have kind of come out of this site and you know this is people who are not in recovery read it right i mean anytime i talk about because i talk about my family and fatherhood I do all those things that I used to refer to you as fat drew remember when i used to kind of push you to be <laughs> of course i do say, <laughs> I remember you being I like, like, I remember you being like, hey, I bet you had a bunch of like stuffed Garfields in your bedroom when I was a kid. And I was like, how the fuck did you know that? <laughs> you son of a bitch. And it was all completely. No, accurate. but I, you know, the, th the thing was about was about you. And I forget what your first story was. I think it was about, you know, I, what I was so touched by was basically just like when you were talking about in your college football team experience right and i was just like there was a there's a level of vulnerability in the writing there that i hadn't seen because you know you're obviously doing jamboree shit and blah 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 and fuck throws and all that shit and yeah whatever yeah, you yeah. do right yeah i mean and I, and i was like because i i loved fathers no shit right that's that was really what i thought was you know that your your strongest stuff um and i wanted that 
Like I wanted more of that guy. So I remember having the conversation with you. It was just like, how can we kind of create a space for you to do that writing instead too, right? In addition to all this stuff. Right. And, um, but I mean, it was just like, and you know, I just, I, you know, I want to say that it's just like, you know, I, I, I'm, I hope the book that you're doing now is your best book because it was clearly that was your best essay that you wrote. Like on, I, I like that. I think about the Anton Chigurh coin flip thing that you referenced in that in that essay that you wrote. You know about your brain. Yep. Every single day, because I'm basically just like you know that that just you know encapsulates basically the terror of what you went through, but also just the randomness of it, right? You know, and and I think that that's something that you've always had the ability to write well that way when there's a lot at stake. That's really just like, you know, where your strength was most of the time. And that was the thing that I was always like, man, I, I hope this guy gets an opportunity to be that guy. It doesn't have to be fuck throw guy and throw gasms and whatever the phone is like that. Um, so I, I, I really hope that that book comes together for you in the way you hoped it will. Yeah, I, I think it has. And that's very, very, that's very, very kind of you to say. And, you know, what's interesting is that, um, you know, I think that's, I also am with you in that that, is, that tends to be the most gratifying writing that mm -hmm. I do. Yeah. And in your case, it was something you wanted to do, but you had to take a very, very long road to get there. Yeah. And yeah. it's certainly not a road you would have taken if someone had said, hey, you have to do all this and, and go through all this. You would have been like, eh, I don't think I want to do that. Uh, and then you go through it because life right. does that to you. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you come out of it, and it was what it took for you to sort of open yourself up and in that sense, it's gratifying to get to yeah. that spot. Um, right. It's not fun to endure what you have to endure. Well, but it's, it is one of those things where I, I, I and I've, I've said this many times that I think that there's this sliding door moment in that trial where, say, everything goes well for me. Because, I mean, there was like, you know, a lot of my, and I hate to use this word, career, was a series of getting away with shit I shouldn't have gotten away with and getting financially rewarded for it. And, you know, I was a very huge failing upward guy. I mean, that was happening. You are not I uncommon think I, in that regard. You should. <laughs> um, but I, so I, I think that there's a version of the trial which exists in that, you know, Gawker doesn't go bankrupt. We, the, the case gets thrown out. My deposition basically gets, you know, interpreted as a, as a joke and, and, and kind of just like this, this heroic fuck you to everybody. And if that had happened, I would not have the life I have now, right? I mean, I don't know what I would be, but I'd probably still be a guy that I no longer like, right? And so it's, I, I don't want to say I'm, I'm grateful for that experience because, I mean, obviously a lot of people lost their jobs and a lot of people went through a, a lot of harrowing shit to 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 endure that but for for me personally that needed to happen because i think that i needed to recognize that the stuff that i thought i'd i'd lost from that experience um was stuff i needed to let go of and and i i never had the opportunity to do that i thought and it was just like okay here's this moment where i can just leave the dung guy <laughs> to, to, to float away. And maybe that's a good thing. And that's kind of what happened. Well, also, it's kind of hard um, to imagine 
your life any other way. Like when I was drinking, it was hard for me to imagine a life where I, I didn't drink. I don't drink anymore. Yeah. And it's perfectly, utterly imaginable. It's, you know, right. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is better. And it, it's weird. It's weird that you go through these transitions and you don't, you know, you don't, you don't know that there is a, there is sunshine on the other side of it. You know, it doesn't seem right. that way at the time. And, you know, it's a long road to get to that other side, but then it's quite, yeah. it's quite something when you get there. Uh, I want to ask you some, some fun, bad questions and play some games. Would you like to do some regular sure, sure. podcast bullshit with some okay. fucks and shits? Would you like to remember a guy, AJ? Yeah, All absolutely. Right. Remember Todd Pinkston? Remember that guy? I, of course I do. Of course I do. <laughs> I, was, I absolutely remember Todd Pinkston because he, he went to the Washington football team briefly as well, I think, you know, at one point during the end of his career. Yeah, pr- um, probably. He probably had a couple of coffee with every other. Yeah, well, it was just like James Thrash was basically yeah. oh, a guy yeah. that he had at that point in time. No, but, but Todd Pinkston was always this guy that kind of got ragged on because – he he never cut passes ultimately. Yeah, he, he was always a guy that he would never go across the middle, you know. But um, you know, he he caught one huge pass, I believe, in kind of just like you know when the during the McNabb era of the NFC Championship era, and I, I think that was it. That was the highlight of his career. But he was mostly a guy that was being groomed as a number one receiver who was only going to be a number four. You know? Yeah, it's always he got. Classic Eagles wideout syndrome. And I, by the way, mm-hmm. I would have brought up Mike Mamula, except I used him already on an earlier podcast. But I, your story of your dad always saying, but where was Mamula every time <laughs> Every time the Eagles lost a game? Right. Stay with yeah. No, it, was, it was interesting because I mean, my dad became a senior intern at that radio station. Like, So he was a, a WIP in, in Philadelphia. Was was just like the biggest sports network. And he, he was on that morning show for like three years. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's like, great. Yeah, no, it was great. And, uh, you know, I would, when I would be home, I would like be driving and then, you know, hearing my dad talk about gas prices with like Mitch Williams on the air was kind of surreal. But I mean, because that was that what they would like use them for is just like, so what was it like in 1975 during the gas crisis? And then, you know, my dad would talk about it. Um, but, it but it was also just like, you know, they made him, I remember one time I was pissed off at, uh, the thing that really made me angry I was editor Deadspin. I got a tip sent to me from like a WIP intern who had stuck a post-it note on my dad's bald head. And, you know, yeah. And, and I was just like, you know, I got this, this tip. And at, at that point, I was basically just like, you know, do you know who I, I, I'm going to crush you, young man? <laughs> like, you know, it just. Um, Did they write anything I, on the post-it? No, just like, you know, uh, fun games with old guys or something like that. It was something like what it was. And they were sticking post-it notes on my poor father, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, he was basically part, he was basically the whack pack part of like that morning show. And it was pretty bad, but I mean, he would, I remember we had, and my father and I have a, a very tortured and tempestuous relationship basically then throughout our whole entire life. Um, but uh, we used to go through sp- bouts of not speaking to one another. And the one time where he was really mad at me was he was on his, his WIP morning show. And I don't know if you remember the story I did with Doc Ellis and the, the acid thing. Of course right? I remember. Yeah, yes. so, um, so after that story had come out, uh, Ricky Batalico, 
former closer of oh, the Oh, now that's a guy. God uh, damn. Was 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 on, you know, the was the the jock on this on this show like told my father about that story and my father had no idea what acid was and was kind of mortified that he was basically on the air and he called me and he's just like you know you embarrassed me at work today <laughs> I'm like you know I'm like motherfucker I got you that job shut up you know like you know it's like this. Uh, all right this long tortured history of me and my father but yeah how give me another guy uh, well now no way to play dead or canceled. Would you like to okay. play dead or canceled? Uh, is it me? No, it's not going to be you. Okay. I'm not going to be right. like Hulk Hogan. Ha ha ha. No. I'm not going to do any of that. <laughs> yeah, tell me where this person is dead or canceled. Sure. Tom Sizemore. Is he dead or canceled? Ooh. Actor um, Tom Sizemore. He's, you know, it's, it's, he's, he's canceled for sure. He is canceled. Um, but I mean, he's a, he's a man who struggles. You know, he I, is I, a man who struggles. I know, I know, I know people who know him and he's, he's, he's got a hard thing right now. So he, I wish him the best. He, uh, he's a fantastic actor. I just want that noted. Always good in heat, true romance. He's always gross. You know, yeah, he but was I a mean, great be- I think his best, I, I think his best moment is when in Save It Private Ryan, when he gets shot in the leg and he throws the helmet at the guy. I think I love that. Scene. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's, uh, let's do this. Let's open up the fun bag for AJ. Uh, this sure. is from Tom. Tom writes in, I was never the biggest Iron Maiden fan, but goddamn, their new song, The Writing on the Wall, and video slaps. I don't agree with this, by the way. What is your favorite metal video? And I know you love Iron Maiden, so it seemed like a... I I went, I've seen Iron Maiden, yeah. Um, but my favorite metal video, God, man, there's so many. But uh, Testament, Over the Wall, which is just like this scary ass black and white video when I first saw it and they were all wearing Reebok high tops and you know it was in the it was in like that mosh era phase and was just, it the like, pump? Just, Did they have the pump? Um, <laughs> I had the pump but uh, no but I mean um, That's good stuff no but I that that video is still one that I kind of go back to every single every now and again just because it was both terrifying and awesome because I just never heard things that fast and the lead singer Chuck Billy had this big mane of hair and just you just you know it was just uh, it was is mesmerizing. So I'm gonna go with that testament over the wall. I'll uh, I'll go with Sober by Tool because we used to watch it. It doesn't count. It's not a metal song. All man. right, all right, all right, all right. That's 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 just. I was thinking rock. of uh, that was only like 120 minutes. Um, I was thinking of because um, he mentioned Iron Maiden. Tom did so. I was yeah. thinking of Can I Play with Madness. That was a good one, but I mean the you know the 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 old Iron Maiden videos with if you look at them, it's just like you know at, Bruce Dickinson basically used to dress like I would dress when I would pretend to be a football player, you know, <laughs> like when you're little, like giant socks and then kind of just really tight sweatpants to basically act like football uniforms. Yep. Like you know when I was six. That's how Bruce Dickinson used to dress on stage, basically, you know? <laughs> I, also, yeah. I liked, uh, I used to read Rolling Stone, and I'd go right to the charts page, and they would always have the British top 10, and Iron Maiden yeah. was always at the top, like, every week. And I'd always right. be like, what's going on over there? Were they, like, super into <laughs> Iron Maiden? And I have to, like, stay up for Headbangers Ball to see an Iron Maiden. I, I have tapes of Headbangers Ball still. You and do? I, and, um, Mm-hmm. Now that's yeah, no, that's cool. So I, I mean, it was because I, you know, it was always, I guess, eleven thirty to one was when it aired. Yes, and, it was. You know, it was. 
like the 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 moment that I remember because you remember used to have world premiere videos, right? And then you used to have that thing. You used to wait up for them. And I remember Shit, yeah. when they were premiering "Sweet Child of Mine" was basically the thing that I was waiting up for, and that just absolutely kind of just. I, that that changed. You, you saw that was like one of those moments where I saw you saw something change, right? Because you know, Welcome to the Jungle was just like, all right, I I, I kind of got it because it was still it's they still were kind of a hair band at that point. I don't know if you remember the video, but I mean, Axel had the big kind of hairspray mane. I know, I know the part. teleplay to that video by heart. Like I, um, right? I know exactly but, how he teased his hair. Like he never, yeah, looked, yeah, yeah, yeah. He never looked like that in another video again. Never, never. But I mean, I think that I think that sweet child of mine was basically just like, all right, here's this, here's this guy. That's when he had he was bandana Axel when he was he did the sway slide, snake act. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and just that opening kind of just like you know slash little fucking just like an you know, opening little riff he does. I mean, that just like shot right through me. I was just like, man, I've never heard a song like this before in my life, right? You know. Um, but that, that was, I, I, it's something that I remember still of just like that moment, basically watching that world premiere video and the black and white little dog thing. And then, you know, it, it was just magnificent. So I'm going to put Guns N' Roses' Sweet Child of Mine ahead of Testament Over the Wall. Oh, look at that. Just wow, wow. A late, mm-hmm. a late photo finish. It was, I know, yeah. I bumped it out of the way. It was lovely but, talking uh, to you. Yeah, Would, but I mean, I, there, was, there was that moment, too, where it's just like, and this is, I think this is where you and I kind of have similar musical taste, but there was that era where 120 minutes and Headbangers Ball kind of overlapped to where, you know, you didn't know where Alice in Chains went. You didn't know where Soundgarden went. Right. They, were, they could work in both you know both both places you know and um you know but that was that was also one of those moments where i remember when the beastie boys came out with check your head and it seemed like there was one point during the 90s where everything on the radio was just amazing right just like every single song was great like there were so many people doing so many interesting things and all of the genres had kind of melted together and become this one big just alternative Station. Yeah, right? they call it alternative because they had they didn't know what other word to use. Nothing. They didn't know what else to call it. And of course, there wasn't an alternative. It was the main shit, which was. So it was. Yeah. Yeah. Was. This was lovely having you on. Would you come on again sometime? We could talk about um, like absolutely. I thought we were going to talk about more metal. We could. Jesus, we could talk man. about more metal. We could talk about the Olympics, although the Olympics won't exist. Uh, you know, by the time you come on, again. <laughs> yeah, we come back and. Four years when there's no limit. Anyway, Brandon Nix, our producer and engineer. Daisy Rosario is our executive producer. And our theme song is by Kirk Hamilton. You can listen to ad-free episodes of The Distraction only on Stitcher Premium. Thanks to us. You can get a free month of Stitcher Premium right now. Just go to stitcherpremium.com and use the promo code DISTRACT. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever it is that you listen. And go subscribe to Defector.com while you're at it. And subscribe to the smallbow.com as well while you're at it. AJ Delario was our guest and it was lovely to talk to you hey let's uh let's talk again outside of a podcast maybe have a cup of maybe how's that maybe yeah maybe we'll do maybe. Um. <laughs> all right we'll see you next week everybody <laughs>